You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible, uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 3 and find verse 11. Proverbs 3 will be mostly in verses 11 and 12 this morning. As you're turning there, if you are new to Citizens, uh, welcome. My name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we are thrilled that you're worshiping with us. If you're watching online, uh, we're thrilled that you're joining us uh, wherever you are. Uh, we've been in a wisdom series for several months. We will be in wisdom for several more months from here. And this morning, we are in our last week on wisdom and parenting. Uh, last Sunday, what we, the, the wisdom that God's word offered us is that um, it was really targeted towards the heart of parents, that good parenting is about being and becoming godly people. That's where it starts. Uh, that means that uh, what matters most in parenting is not having all the right answers or necessarily even handling everything in uh, the right way or knowing all of the right information, but more important than all of that is being and becoming uh, godly people. And if that's true, what it means is we need a ton of grace it means the gospel of Jesus needs to be uh, center in the lives of children, but also center in the lives of parents because children don't need parents to be Jesus. Children need parents to need Jesus. That was last week. Uh, in the passage that we're in this morning, the main subject is actually the relationship between God and his people, but it comes in a conversation between a father and a son. And so I just want to do work in these two uh, verses, draw out from that really important wisdom for parents. And I didn't, I do want to say at the beginning, I didn't set out to do this necessarily, but uh, realized this during our nine o'clock service that most of the sermon is applicable to parents, especially parents who have children that are still in the home, because that's the aim of a lot of the Proverbs that we're going to be in. Uh, but I do believe that there's wisdom for all of us if we have ears to hear. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. I want to read it again. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. There's two relationships at work in those two verses. You have a father who's talking to his son about the son's relationship with who? With God. He uses the word Lord. It's the covenant name of God that is unique to the people of God who are in unique relationship with uh, God in covenant. So it's a father talking to his son about his son's relationship with the Lord. And he says, the Lord disciplines in love those who he delights because he loves in them just like a father does his son. So here's the point. The parent-child relationship is designed to reflect the God and his people relationship. And what's present according to this passage in both relationships with you and God and what's present in the relationship, if you're a parent, between your parents and your children, what should be present is both discipline and delight. God disciplines those he loves because he delights in them, and parents should both discipline and delight in their children. That's the outline this morning. The wisdom that we get from these passages is that um, there should be a discipline and delight that marks the life of uh, parenting and marks the, the wise relationship between parents and children, and we want to give most of our time to unpacking what that looks like. Before I do that, 
I think it's really important to name what the Bible is offering and what the Bible is not offering. Like, um, the Bible is not offering some sort of equation that's going to guarantee that your children, if you're a parent, are going to turn out the way that you hope. I think there's something about those of us who are parents that really want that kind of thing or that we think that we want that kind of thing. And so it'd be easy to hear all that we're about to say and say, okay, this is the equation to produce the kinds of kids that I want. I take a little discipline and I take a little delight and that's going to equal into a kid who, you know, loves God or is a godly child. And, and it's easy to treat parenting that way, to just think of it in terms of like an equation to solve. And that's what our children are. And so it's like, um, you know, church plus a good school, plus mom and dad's involvement, plus the right kind of friends, plus a good doctor, that's going to equal a child who grows up to be well-rounded and has good morals and, and calls home every day after they leave, right? And that gives the illusion of control, and that's why I think we maybe like it, but in reality, the actual experience of that kind of thinking is a bit crushing, both for parents and for children, because no equation is ever that clean. We don't have that kind of control, and we're not that sanctified as parents, so the equation, more honestly, is like church sometimes, dad and mom's faithfulness and their failures, and a school, and that can be a mixed experience for a lot of people, and the suffering that we can't prevent, and a good doctor who charges too much, and the ways that we fail to be as intentional as we should. And then what's on the other side of the equal sign? What, what kind of child does that produce? Well, it's out of our control. Who knows? So no one is raising children with a clean equation. We don't have that kind of control. We talked about this when we talked about wisdom and family of origin. Like if you think about your parents, not everyone here has children, but everyone in here is a child. So if you think about your parents, there's really good news that we talked about over and again in those weeks that we talked family of origin. And the good news is this. No one is the sum total of their parents' parenting failures. No one is the sum total of their parents' parenting faithfulness. We are all responsible for us. We're all responsible for our own hearts. We have our own hearts. And people can have a grace response to a home that's filled with brokenness. And people can have a broken response to a home that's filled with grace. And if that's true for children thinking back on their parents, it's also true now for parents thinking about their children. So the better metaphor, as we dig into all this, the better metaphor is not to think of this sermon or to think of parenting wisdom uh, and your kids' lives as some sort of equation to solve, but parenting is a lot more like soil that you're trying to fill with godly nutrients in hopes that your children grow in righteousness and godliness and maturity and faithfulness. So like if you've ever bought flowers or if you've ever planted a plant in your yard, you know that you plant that plant and then you want to fill the soil that's in it and around it and underneath it with everything that plant needs to thrive, right? It needs water and it needs nitrogen and it needs phosphorus and it needs a whole lot of sunlight depending on the plant. And in all that, what you're not doing is you're not controlling the growth. You're not guaranteeing the growth. That's outside of your control. But what you are doing is you're trying to cultivate growth. You're trying to do your part to fill the soil in such a way that beauty grows and health grows and something mature grows. And for those of us with children, wise parenting is God planting the children that we have into our life and saying, just fill the soil. 
fill the soil of their life with the kinds of things that bring about faithfulness and love for God and love for others and righteousness and beauty because we want to do our part to tend and feed and cultivate, not because of what we can guarantee, but because we hope and trust that they're going to choose wisely and ultimately that God will be the one that gives the growth. With that in mind, part of that filling the soil Part of that cultivating and that tending is filling the soil of your home and filling the soil of your children's life with both discipline and delight. We're going to unpack each of those words. We'll start with discipline. We need a lot of Proverbs to understand. Discipline in Proverbs is not simply correction when someone does something wrong. It's bigger than that, and you'll hear that in these Proverbs. Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 12.1 Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. It's a happy little life verse if you need a tattoo idea. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Proverbs 22.15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 23.26, my son, give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. The word discipline is a big word. Uh, it, it holds a lot. The scope of the word is really broad, and we hear that kind of broad definition in all the passages we read. I just want to spend our time to two to highlighting two major ideas that we see behind the word discipline. It is truth that is spoken and seen. It's correction that's aimed at the heart. When we're talking about the soil of our kids' lives needing discipline, we're talking about it needs. They need truth that is both spoken and seen, and then they need correction that's aimed at their heart. One of the primary jobs of parents is to teach children what's true, teach them what's right, teach them what a lie sounds like, teach them what's wise, teach them what foolishness looks like, that they might hopefully fear the Lord and learn to live in God's world, God's way. Just, if you just think with me about the book of Proverbs, which is largely in the context of a parent child conversation, and think about what they're talking about. God, the fear of God, foolishness, sin, grace, money, work, emotions, conflict, sex, family, friends, death, suffering, joy, and on and on. And all of those, all of those conversations are starting with something like, hear my son, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching. And so here's the idea. Mom and dad are talking about all of those things with their kids. They're having conversations in the home around all. They're talking about God and the fear of the Lord and wisdom and foolishness and grace and conflict and money and emotions and sex and friends. And they're talking about all of those things in view of God's reality and God's glory in and over the world. They're talking about how to live in God's world and God's way and all of that. So if I could just ask those in the room who are parents, do you talk about all that? with your kids. Not do you talk about it perfectly, not do you talk about it all the time, but are, these are you telling your children what's true around all of these kinds of things? Here's something, parents. The most important things in life your children most need to learn about from you. The most important things in life, it's most important what your voice is saying about those things. So there are some things that my kids learn about, and I have no idea where they heard it. 
And I have no idea where they got the information they got. And it's fine, largely, because it's insignificant. Like the other day, my son came in and said, hey, Dad, did you know that the Green Bay Packers lost their last four games? And I said, I did not know that. Praise God for that. That is such good news. But I don't know where he learned that, and I don't know who taught him that. It wasn't me, and that's fine. But there are truths that if they were to come in the door and say, hey, Dad, I heard this about this thing, and I'd never heard that before, right? Around the truths of God and life and the most important things, uh, Carrie and I are called to be the first voice and called to be the most important voice and called to be the most trusted voice and called to be the most consistent voice in their life. And so what that means is they have and will hear about God from us and the Bible from us and learn about emotions from us and uh, have and will learn about sex from us and gender from us and the sacredness of their bodies from us and conflict from us. And most of all, what we want them to hear over and over and over again is about Jesus, his kingdom, his beautiful rule and reign, his love. And we want those things to pour out of our mouths and hopefully land in their hearts because it's our job. It's our job. God has given them to us and said, fill the soil of their life with what's true and teach them what's true. And we're not experts on anything. Often in those kinds of conversations, I run into the limits of my knowledge or I run into the limits of my ability to explain something like that to someone that young. And so I'm not saying parents are perfect theologians or perfect apologists or perfect teachers, but the Call on the life of a parent is to be faithful to fill the soil and to speak truth in hopes that what grows in them is a view of the world that agrees with God about what's true and what's wrong and what's wise and what's foolish. And part of that is just making time to speak truth to them, to have truthful conversations. And if you don't know how to do that, I think there's a couple objections that just immediately start to, you know, surround a topic like that. And one of them is, I don't know how to do that. If you don't know how to do that, we are here to help. Like every single Sunday, if you have elementary kids or preschool age kids, when you pick your children up, you get one of these. It's the take-home sheet. And it's designed to help parents like me uh, have conversations, theological conversations with our children about what they learned. So we at Citizens Church, we don't do child care. We do child discipleship. So while we are in here learning about the beauty and glory and wonders of God, our children are somewhere else learning about the beauty and glory and wonders of God. And this week they're learning Elisha and the army of angels from 2 Kings 6, 8 through 23. And everything else around this is going to help us as parents try to have these conversations with them. And here's how it starts. Right up here, I know you can't see it, but you know what it says in this little bubble? It says, parents, you've got this. Now, I don't believe that's true, but it feels good to hear that, right? Parents... <laughs> You've got this. And it's got all of the key point is God protects his children. You never grow out of needing to hear that. How good is it that our kids are hearing it at such a young age? The foundational truth is God is in charge of everything. Here's the point. The reason our team does that, our team produces this curriculum. They are brilliant and gifted and faithful. And the reason they work so hard to produce something like this is because as good as it is, that your children hear about this from the faithful men and women who serve, they need to hear it all the more from your mouth and from your words. And we want to help do that. Look, if your kids are older than that, it might look like something else. It might look like a different conversation. Our student ministry has resources for that. I know that there's a lot of a sense of I don't know how, but can I tell you something? Just 
to be incredibly candid, the problem where this is lacking in my parenting, the problem is not a shortage of resources. When it comes to discipling children, when it comes to understanding the Bible, whether you have kids or not, when it just comes to growing in our theological understanding and it comes to growing in our understanding of God's word, here's what's true, friends. We are the most resourced generation of Christians in Christian history, and we might at the same time be the least theologically literate. There's no shortage of access. There's no shortage of resource. What that means is, is there's a shortage of intentionality. So I am here as a parent who too often neglects this great resource and other great resources, just reminding us of something. This matters so much. It matters so much. The lives of our children need the nutrients of truth about God, and they need it from us. And nobody has time, but every single person makes time for what matters most, and this matters. Uh, Addie, my middle child, asked me to coach her basketball team, and she wanted to play basketball. We didn't have a team. We didn't know anyone that was on a team that was close to us. And so she said, Dad, will you coach? And that girl can get me to do anything. She has all of my heart. But I said no. I'm just kidding. I said yes. Uh, and here's what's true. I don't have time to coach a third grade girls basketball team. Here's what's even more true. I don't know how to coach a third grade girls basketball. I played one season of basketball in eighth grade, and I was just terrible, like so bad. Like that was the worst season like of my life, not just of sports, just worst season of my life because I was that bad. But here's what happened. Um, I made time for it. And I'm trying to learn how to do it. We've had two practices. I'm not sure how it's going to go. I think we're going to win every game and most of our girls will get college scholarships. But we'll see <laughs> how it turns out. But you know what's far more important than her playing basketball? Her knowing Jesus. Of her following Jesus and seeing the world that she's in as the world that God reigns over. And that means seeing everything in life, including basketball, including being a good teammate, including how to handle competition wisely, but seeing all of that through the lens of knowing him. And that's true for your children. The most important thing is them knowing Jesus. And, and look, I know that there's a sense for so many of, I don't know how to do this, or I don't have time to do this, but here's what I'm believing about you. You love your children. I know you do. So make time and learn how. It really matters. And if you need help, ask for help. You can do it. Parents, you've got this. They need to hear truths of God from you. And then not only that, but they need to see it modeled in your life. Proverbs 23, 26. This is so much of what we said last week, but I'll be brief. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. It means that they need to hear wise words and then they need to see a wise witness. It's watch how I love the, the Lord. Watch how I live in God's world, God's way. Watch how I love people. Watch how I repent and seek forgiveness. We cannot control, friends, whether children agree with what we say, but we can control whether what we say agrees with how we live. And I've learned this lesson from older, more seasoned parents. There may come a time with your kids where you lose their ears, but you still have their eyes. They've stopped listening, but they haven't stopped watching. Show them. Be a witness to them. Give me your heart, child, and let your eyes observe my ways as I follow Jesus. Okay, discipline is truth, both spoken and seen. Discipline is also correction that is aimed at the heart. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline 
drives it far from him. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I don't know anyone who has spent significant time with a three-year-old who would disagree with that, right? Children are precious and people are sacred, but left to themselves without correction and discipline and ultimately without the intervening grace of God, the folly that's bound up in the heart of a child will be folly that pours out of the life of an adult. We've said this before. There's a kind of defiance that at four years old is cute and makes sense, but at 14, it's not cute anymore. And at 24, it hurts people. And at 34, it's devastating. And at 44, someone's lived half their life foolishly, and that's really sad. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Someone left to themselves, meaning there's the absence of wisdom, there's an absence of correction, there's an absence of consequence in their life. And where there's that absence, where they're left to themselves without that guidance, everyone gets hurt. It just brings shame. And so children need correction, and the goal of the correction is not correction itself, but to bring about wisdom. So it has to be aimed at the heart. So parents, how, just to bring it on the ground and try to be practical, how is correction handled in your home? What does correction look like in your home? Um, I think there are two ways to err as a parent. I've been guilty of both of these. I'll likely be guilty of both of these again. But when it comes to correction, we can err on one side where correction is all about controlling behavior. And when we're trying to control behavior, it means we just, we just dole out consequences but never have conversations. So it's mostly punitive, it's mostly disciplinary, but there's not the slowed down time to sit with children to try to help them understand why they're being corrected or, or what is being corrected, and then not offering a path out of that correction beyond them just being in trouble. Or often in homes that are more controlling around this, kids get in trouble for things that bother their parents but aren't necessarily wrong. Get in trouble for things that, that, that provoke their parents but aren't necessarily sinful. So a few months I had to apologize to one of my children for doing that. And here was the conversation. Hey child, I sent you to your room for being loud and being loud is not wrong. It's not a sin. Now, had I asked them to keep it down and they were, you know, defiant of that, that's different. But that wasn't this. Here's what this was. I was stressed, and my stress was exposed by a child having fun and being loud. And I responded out of that stress and corrected that child for what did not require correction. So the conversation is this. It had to be this. Child, you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't deserve a consequence. That wasn't about you. That was about dad. I need Jesus. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. And why that's so important, friends, please lean in. The correction always needs to be connected to something that's bigger than you. The correction always needs to be connected to something that's different and bigger and more constant than your emotions. It needs to be connected to the heart of God and the commands of God. We don't correct children because of what their behavior provokes in us. That's usually more about us than it is about them. We correct children for where their behavior is foolish or sinful or doesn't meet God's standard. It fails to love God and love others. And that correction, and the reason that's so important is because the ultimate goal is to move past behavior, beyond behavior, and try to appeal to the heart. The other way to err um, is just as worthy of wise consideration. And the other way to err is when we avoid correction and especially avoid consequences. The word rod 
has a range of meaning. Rod and reproof give wisdom. I don't think it's telling the how of correction as much as it's offering a principle that you find all over Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I get that this works in different homes, in different ways. I don't think there's one right way necessarily, but here's what we see. The rod represents authority. Another word for it is, it's a, in Hebrew, is the scepter, meaning it's the person who's in charge. And so mom and dad in the home are to act in loving authority given by God. And where there's foolishness and sin and wrong, that needs to be corrected. And sometimes, maybe even often, that needs to include consequences like a timeout or like losing the phone for a while or like being grounded from something. And the consequences, you know, they differ in severity depending on, you know, what's being corrected. But here's the point. Don't avoid that in your parenting. Don't, it's foolish to avoid the correcting and the disciplining and the consequences that come. Because here's the point. Living foolishly hurts. It hurts. And it hurts way more as an adult than it does as a child. The consequences for foolishness at 30, again, are way more serious than the consequences at 3 or even at 13. And what mom and dad are trying to do when they correct, and there's consequences around that correction, is they're saying to their children, when you act foolishly, when you act selfishly, you need to be corrected. And with that correction comes consequences because I would rather you experience the consequences of foolishness while you're still in my home so that I can, in hopes, protect you from experiencing it outside of my home. Derek Kidner, he's my favorite Proverbs commentator. He says it this way on this verse. If wisdom is life and if whoever finds wisdom finds life, he says this. A hard way to life is better than a soft way to death. A hard way to life is better than a soft way to death. And for some of us, the pool is to avoid consequences because we have this fear that our children are going to grow up and hate us when they're adults. Or the pool is to, we grew up in a home that was way too harsh or way too cold with consequences. And so we've overcorrected loving our children if you're a parent means being willing to do the hard things and having the hard conversations, correcting and, and, and consequences as hard as that might be because a hard way to life is better than a soft way to perpetual foolishness and pain. Because what we're after is their hearts. Correction aimed at the heart. And so what that, all, what that means is the correction needs to be faithful to include and to lay a path towards the cross of Jesus. Hey, this was wrong. This is sin. This is foolish. Here are the consequences. But you know what, child? How good of God to give us a Savior. If they're a believer, how good of God that he doesn't count this against you. How good of God that he has an identity that he's spoken over you that is loved and forgiven and freed. We need him. Fill the soil of your children's life with discipline. Discipline is truth that is both seen and spoken. It's correction aimed at the heart. Let's look again at our verse. 3, 11, and 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Okay, please hear this. The Lord reproves whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. What motivates the discipline? The delight. If the question from the kid is, hey, why do you teach me about God, mom and dad? Why do you correct me? Why are there consequences? The answer is, child, because I'm thrilled that you're mine. 
because I'm delighting in the fact that you belong to me and I'm taking seriously God's call on my life to be faithful with you and to fill the soil of your life. But what's motivating it, what undergirds everything about it is the fact that this is true. Your dad delights in you. Your mom delights in you. Parents, do you delight in your children? Could it be said that, that you're uh, involvement in their life, their influence, your influence in their life, as messy as that might be at times, what undergirds it, it flows out of a delight that you have for them. And if you delight in them, it'll come out in two ways, really in two statements. Parents who delight in their children, they say this to their children, and they believe this about their children. One, you are mine, and two, you are uniquely you. You are mine, and you are uniquely you. I want to comment on each. 23 times we read in Proverbs, my son. Some of the most difficult Proverbs around parents and children start with my son. It starts with a statement of acceptance. It starts with a statement of belonging. So whether you have kids or not, you know this to be true. Every single human is on a search for acceptance. All of us. Every single human is on a search for belonging. And the acceptance, God's design, is that all of us, that we would first find that belonging in our home and we would first find that acceptance from mom and dad. Kurt Thompson, he's a Christian author and counselor, he says it this way. Everyone, I think this is really poignant, everyone is born into the world looking for someone who is looking for them. Everyone is born into the world looking for someone who is looking for them. What are we looking for? Where do I belong? Where's my place? Who's going to claim me? I don't want to live lost in this world. I want to live found. I want to belong to someone. And God intends for our children, if you have them, that the first place that they would find that acceptance is from mom and dad. That first place of belonging they would find in the home. And that means a mom and a dad who believe and who are saying to our children, you are mine, you're mine. I delight in you. And I can't control whether you feel accepted here always. And there may come a season in life where you act like you couldn't care less about how much I love you, but even still, you're mine. And this should be a distinct mark of every Christian home, that there is a belonging that is extended to everyone in the home, regardless of what's, what's, what they believe or what they agree with. Um, my friend Ina sent me an article several months ago by a, a Christian author named Hannah Anderson. She's an incredible writer and thinker. And she said something in that article that I've thought about a lot and found so helpful. She says this, a Christian home is one that preserves the humanity of its members in a world that dehumanizes them. Think about that. Uh, In a world that is dehumanizing all of us, and that dehumanization comes by way of saying, hey, before you belong, you have to perform. Uh, Before you belong, you have to behave perfectly, and it strips us of all of the things that God would say humans deserve simply by virtue of being human. The Christian home, she says, it is a home in which each member knows the safety of belonging to God and as a result, the grace of belonging to each other. The Christian home offers that kind of belonging. We want to cultivate a home that's filled with delight and that holds those two things out, the sacredness as image bearers and safety of belonging to God and the grace of belonging to one another. What would that sound like? You're mine. You're mine. You belong here. 
with us. Parents, I think it's really important that our kids hear us say that over and over and over again. There's a way that in the discipline and the teaching and the truth and in the correcting, it creates space for children to question that. And so we have to fight against that as much as we fight to correct and as much as we fight to, to teach truth. Like, I know that parenting is difficult and, and there's a strain in the relationship often, but what I'm assuming is true about most, if not all, parents in the room is that underneath the difficulty, there is that delight. Like, the way I would say it is this, when I'm thinking my best, and I'm thinking clearly, there's just a gratitude that would come out of my mouth like this. Of all the dads in the world, God chose me to be my kid's dad. What a gift that is. Like to be Asher and Adeline and Ayla's dad. Who am I that I get to be their dad? I'm the luckiest man alive. And so often that can get buried under the difficulty of life or the difficulty of parenting, but it's there. And I, I just think, friends, that for you, to some degree, it's probably there too. Find it and say it. Tell them that. I love being your mom. I love being your dad. Say it before they go to bed. Say it when they've broken all your rules. Say it when they lost the game. Say it when they roll their eyes. Wait till all their friends are around and say it really loud and just embarrass them with it, right? I love being your mom. I love being your dad. Delight in them. Not only that, but find a way to show them that you delight in them. You know a real easy way that might sound weird? Just smile at them a lot. Like, as weird as that might sound, a smile is hard to misinterpret, right? Or at the very least, you smile at what you delight in, what you're pleased with. Smile at your kids. Your teenagers might think it's really creepy, but what they won't think is I'm unwanted, right? And what doesn't sound weird is an adult child who thinks back on their memories in the home and it's full of a father's pleased face and a mother's delighted smile. And if you had to choose the expression that your kids most think about looking back, it wouldn't be a scowl. I know that. So smile at them. Delight in them. Tell them you are mine. You belong here in this home. And then second, they need to hear and believe you are uniquely you. This comes from 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. A lot of commentators believe, and I agree, that that idea of training up a child uh, is specific to each child. It's unique to each child. The wisdom's the same, but the way that you uh, lead and parent changes. Uh, Derek Kidner, again, he says, the training prescribed is according to the child's way, implying, it seems, respect for his individuality and vocation, respect for her individuality and vocation. It means this, that every child is unique. There's something unique about them. There's a lot of message around us about being your true self and you just being you and being who you were meant to be without the gospel, without Jesus, without the standard of God's wisdom and God's ways. That kind of ideology just encourages people to make life all about them and to be their own God. The gospel truth is this, you and I are most truly us when we are most like Jesus. Amen? You can say, it, it doesn't, we'll go. Because Jesus is the most true human, right? So we are fully who we were meant to be when we are most like him. And so friends, if I pursue being a kind of me that does not conform to the image that we see in Jesus, that's not me being my true self, that's me lying to myself. Having said that, 
There's a uniqueness to all of us. There's a unique way that God's wired you, a unique personality, unique strengths that God has given you. And part of a parent's job is seeing the uniqueness that God has placed in your children and drawing that out and affirming that. There are things in a child that need to be corrected. I believe all of us are born with sinful hearts, with sick hearts, and there's a lot that needs to be corrected. But there are also things in children that need to be cultivated And when we confuse the two, it confuses them. Not everything in them is wrong that needs to be corrected. Some of what's in them is strength that needs to be cultivated and personality that needs to be named and delighted in. And the fullest, truest, most beautiful expression of that is growth in their life, them being uniquely them in a way that glorifies God and helps others. So I have a child who can explain his thoughts with great clarity. He's a great storyteller, He's also highly empathetic. He is confident. I see it. He is uniquely him. I want to help cultivate that so that it's used for God's glory and the good of others. I have a child who is tough and tender. She is resilient. She can endure pain. There is no quit in her. She also has a laugh that can change a room. If you do something wrong around her, she's going to let you know. If you are someone she loves, she's going to let you know. And I see all that in her. It's unique to her. And I want to help cultivate it so that it's used for God's glory and for her good and for the good of others. I have a child who is pure joy, silly and fun, and she, something about her is she moves towards the most hurting person in the room. Uh, If you're sad, she has a hug for you. If you're mad, she has a joke to tell you. She hates being left out, hates when others are left out. She likes to dance. She loves to sing. And there's something I see in all of that that's unique to her. And I want to help cultivate that so it's used for God's glory and her good. And so what that means, parents, is paying attention, not just to what's wrong or what they do wrong, but paying attention to what's strong what's unique to them, what flows out of them, that the only explanation for it is that God put that in them, that God formed and fashioned them that way. And so as much as there needs to be correction, there also needs to be celebration. Um, Every year on birthdays, we have a birthday dinner, and we go around and we say things that we love about the person that we're celebrating. And usually how it works is however old they're turning, that's the number of things that we say that we love. So there's nine things that we love when you turn nine, and there's four things we love when you turn four. And after that, the last couple of years, what we've done is after we've gone around, after the family's gone around and said, these are the things I love about you, we ask the person, we ask the birthday person, what do you love about yourself? What do you love about yourself? And the last time we did it, or one of the last times we did it, we had uh, the birthday person. We said, what do you love about yourself? And she leaned back and she said, I am amazing. (laughs) And there's probably a time where I would have stressed about that. And I would have thought, you know, I need to to baptize that, you know? (laughs) Um, and I need to, you know, remind the table that, you know, uh, we're all broken and sinful and in need of a Savior and all those kinds of things. But here's what's true. She's amazing. She knows that God's more amazing. We talk about our sick hearts. We talk about our need for Jesus. But she's amazing. And she's uniquely her. And that needs to be said. You are uniquely you. And by God's grace, as you follow Jesus, that uniqueness is going to grow into gifting and into service and into love for others. But even now, before it grows into anything more than what it already is, what it already is is amazing. We love you. You are uniquely you. Parents, our children need us to fill the soil of their life with both discipline and delight.
Okay, back to our verse one more time and I'll close. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I wanna confess something. In all of this verse, I majored this morning on the minor. The minor point of the, or the major point of this, all the wisdom for parents is there, but the major point of this passage, the emphasis is where? Relationship with the Lord. Your relationship with God. What that means is Christian. You follow a God. You belong to a God who disciplines you and who delights in you because he loves you. And he wants to, wherever you are, however this landed, he wants to discipline you. It means he wants to teach you. He wants you to know truth. Maybe that happened this morning from God's word. He wants to bring correction into your life. Uh, if you felt conviction in any way this morning, it's because he wants wisdom for you and because God knows a hard way to life is better than a soft way to death. And so he corrects not to shame, but to shape because he wants you alive and wants you to live and wants you to flourish. And all of that is because he delights in you. God delights in you. You're a parent feeling really good about all this. God delights in you. You're a parent feeling the weight of all this. God delights in you. You're a parent feeling like a failure in all this. God delights with you. You're someone sitting without children and all of this is so hard for you. God delights in you. You're here and you wish you'd been more faithful with your children while they were still in your home, but they're not in your home. God delights in you. Psalm 18, 19 says, he brought me out into a safe place. He delivered me because he delights in me. God saves you because he loves you. God is sanctifying you because he delights in you. And he says to you at all times, you are mine. You're mine. And he says it before you go to bed. And he says it when you've broken all the rules. And he says it when you've messed up. And he says it when you roll your eyes. And he says it when you feel like a failed father. He says it when you feel like you're not good enough as a mom. He says it when you want so badly what you don't have. He says it when you're confused. You're mine. You're his church. He delights in you. He loves you. Loves being a father to you. Jesus loves being a brother to you. And in all the circumstances of your life, God is always delighting in and saying about you, you belong to me through Jesus, I've brought you to a safe place. I've delivered you because my pleasure is on you. He delights in you as his child. God, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for your kindness to us. You are so good, God. You're so good. And we are in need, God, of you to be the one we are in need, God, of you to appropriate your word and your truth that it might fall in our hearts in a way that helps us to trust, in a way that helps us believe that we're delighted in God. Um, this, this church, you have just, in this season that we're in, you have entrusted hundreds and hundreds of children under the care of this church and under the care of these moms and dads, God, those here with children. And we want to be faithful in that. We want to take seriously the call on our lives, both, both God as the biological family and God as a spiritual family. We don't believe that we are um, trying to disciple a generation that one day will be used by you, you're using and working now. We don't believe we're discipling a generation that's one day going to be loved by you. You love them now, God. And so help us to be faithful, to fill the soil with both discipline and delight. And then, God, would you help all of us in the room 
regardless of our family status, regardless of how much this applied or didn't to our lives, would you help all of us believe that you, God, are a heavenly father, a perfect parent, disciplining us, teaching us, correcting us, delighting in us, reminding us in Jesus of our belonging to you. We love you. Amen.